five, four, three, two, one. That's the cold intro. Welcome to the House of Strauss call in, ladies and gentlemen. My favorite kind in this instance, because A, we're going to talk about an article I wrote. So that helps with the narcissism. And B, we have Ryan Glassspiegel coming on by from the New York Post. And not only do we have Ryan Glassspiegel, but he's got one of these teases, one of these mysteries. He's going to answer a question. I always like a sermon like that, where they start out, they say, why did this happen? What's the point of it? Where is it headed? That's when I lean in. That's when I want to know. Ryan has a theory on the entire onslaught of sports gambling you're seeing everywhere, recently legalized in New York State. And he thinks that it's headed toward a particular end for a particular reason. So, Ryan, can you stop on by? Is that, is that, is that accurate, sir? I do. I, I think I know where it's all going and why we have been bombarded with an onslaught of promotions and sponsorships. And, like, I mean, if you sneeze while you're watching a game, you're going to get a gambling ad before, like, between the beginning and end of your sneeze. If you retweet this call-in episode, you will get a $500 coupon to spend at DraftKings or FanDuel or Caesars. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. It is everywhere, and it seems to be one of these these cases, Ryan. We'll get into it. We'll get into your theory. That's the tease, the tease for the people. Um, where it's happening... And there isn't much questioning of it, right? I think it's understood that gambling is a bit of a vice. I think it's understood that you can ruin your life gambling. I don't think either of us are Puritans about it. I've sports gambled. You regularly sports gamble. You nearly won an insane parlay last week, uh, betting against Steph Curry and the Warriors as they got blown out by Milwaukee. So we're not averse to this, right? But at the same time, poison is determined by the dose. A little bit of salt on your steak delicious fantastic you eat an entire carton of salt you're dead and so i look at this and i go shouldn't somebody be questioning the degree of it all shouldn't somebody be worrying about it shouldn't somebody be asking if it's that great if every major sports media company is pushing this stuff uh what do you think am i worrying too much ryan well okay so i don't think you are worrying too much But we also have to be in a reality where this is what it is. And Mm. so, okay, you made two points in your article. You said, now, um, when when something is prohibited, like, it's kind of like in the shadows. So there are all these people with gambling problems. Like, you know, we've all seen The Sopranos where if you get in deep to, like, a loan shark, there goes, like, your legs or maybe even your life. And Mm. so there's an argument that it's better to have vices in the open. And I can kind of understand that because with underground loan sharks, you can go into debt, whereas with these gambling companies, you have to deposit money that you already have. Although some of them do credit cards so that a little but that, bit but that's the key security. difference because people because people might be wondering if gambling's legal why the loan sharks that is the reason is money up front versus i'll pay you later um which makes you wonder about the shadiness of loan sharking and uh, how many people end up not paying but yes that is the distinction yeah um but 
at the same time, there are all sorts of people who never would have sought out a bookie who can just download DraftKings or Barstool or any number of gambling apps on their phone because they're told to by uh, media personalities that they've developed affinities for. And yeah. they're bombarded with it in games. Like, just some, like imagine if you're somebody who has a gambling problem and you need to stay away from it. How can you watch sports now? Like, it's just, Oh my God. I know. And that's the same thing. It's been true of people with drinking problems for like a number of years where you're bombarded by light beer commercials. But, um, at the same time, like I do feel bad for people who, um, this habit is problematic for because an inevitable circumstance that's going to arise from this is there's going to be a lot of families that get broken up over people who lose fortunes gambling on their phone. Like it's a lot, and we'll get into this, but it's a lot easier to gamble on your phone than it is to go to a brick and mortar casino. And yeah. um, th there's like a whole element of, you know, getting the ball rolling that is removed from the fact that these um, gambling machines are all in our pockets now. And frankly, I do spend a lot of time on the gambling apps, probably like an hour a day. So I, I might be like, but clinically addicted to it, but I've been moderately successful in it so far. So I kind of like self justify it. Yeah. Well, I think that's most of my friends. Uh, they enjoy sports gambling. It's not going to ruin their life. It might not be the greatest thing that they are engaged in, but it's not life ruining. But I do think we tell ourselves this lie and it's a rationalization. It's a rationalization so we can do what we want to do, which is that prohibitions don't work. They just don't work. They simply don't work. Uh, I, I don't think that's true. I think sometimes prohibitions are a net negative. You could argue that the prohibition on alcohol uh, in the 1920s was a net negative and that it fueled organized crime. But I'm fairly convinced reading up on the time that it probably did reduce, reduce overall alcohol consumption. So really we're just talking about a world of trade-offs. And I do wonder if prior to the legalization, we had just the right amount of gambling. There was that New York times article on how, because gambling wasn't legal in New York state, that every Sunday morning there would be a bunch of people who would go over the bridge can't remember which bridge. Was it Verrazano? I don't know the New York bridges, but whatever. Um, it wasn't the Brooklyn Bridge, was it? It was a bridge is the point. And they went over the bridge to gamble in New Jersey. And I, I think back to it because it's already an age the of George innocence Washington from a few bridge. months ago. The George Washington Bridge, the G-Dub. Uh, they go over there and they make their bets because they're in New Jersey. And there's a sense of this is so goofy and inefficient. But now I'm looking back, I'm thinking... Yeah, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world if you get some exercise and you take your 15-minute bike ride to do your gambling. Maybe that's just the right amount of gambling, or am I, am I crazy? No, I understand that. Um, the, the, like, these, it, the, the, the thing that you got to at the core of your article, though, is that you're basically not allowed to beat the casinos at any type of volume whereas they're allowed to beat the, the user indefinitely. And that's yeah. where it like starts to get into a gray area where like, is it moral what our like current regulations are where 
they can just weed out the winners, and, but indefinitely prey on losers. Yes. And there have been some creative, I wouldn't say creative, maybe just knowledgeable counter arguments to what I was saying, because it offends my sense of fair play. I think you should be, you should be allowed to win, right? And they say that we're, we're just kicking out the card counters. They don't know who's using the mathematical model. They're just kicking out winners. And not only that, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to be kicked out. It, it really is just any moderate amount of success. And it's algorithmic because it's digital in most cases. But there's pushback and people saying, hey, if they don't kick these people out, then the margins are smaller than the gamblers. Uh, they get uh, worse deals. Uh, and not only that, they've got to ramp up the volume. There, there have been, there's been pushback to what I was saying there. And I'm you know, I'm, I welcome all the pushback because I'm by no means an expert on this subject. I just, at some level, feel like you should be allowed to win. <laughs> and I also yeah, think no, that no, people should know. Here's, an, here's like a personal example of what you're yeah. talking about. So I have won about three grand on the Barstool app. That is nice, but it is not like a life-altering amount of money for me. And it's certainly not a life altering amount of money for a company of that size to lose. And yeah. now on Barstool, my on their on their booster bets, which are like kind of they're basically parways that um they post on the promotions page. I'm limited to like six to twelve dollars depending on the their the um the like qual the classification of the bet. And then on uh, on most bets I'm limited to the fact that I can only win a hundred dollars on a bet, like basically anywhere in the app. So if it's like a future bet or something like that, now there's some exceptions on like, for like, they'll let me bet more than a hundred dollars on like the straight spread of an NFL game. But if, if I'm just like betting on like Steph Curry points, they won't let me bet a bet that I can win over a hundred dollars on, on that app. Yeah. And, 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 and like, I'm not a gigantic winner there. It, it, it's no. um, going back to your theory that they just take anybody who wins and makes it so you can't beat them anymore. But um, to what your detractors are saying, the, um, that like these books, they're not just posting spreads of the games. There's like millions of derivatives for every athletic competition that they're posting. And so they, they're responsible for this many millions of lines. And there are a lot of smart people, and I don't necessarily count myself as one of them, who can really programmatically identify one or two of those million lines that they have posted on any given day and just hammer the hell out of them. So I don't know what the level is where they should be allowed to like limit you or not. But I do think that some of the books take advantage of it to almost like a caricature manner. And then yeah. what I would say though, is I wouldn't blame the books for this. The books want they're in business to make the most money they can. What I would blame is the state's, that don't have yes. regulations and the states are a little bit low key in business with the books because that's, the books are that's the a percentage of their winnings. And so yes. the state is not on the better side. 
Yeah, it's the, that's the gross aspect of it to me. I think Ross Barkin was raising that issue today that this isn't even a whole lot of tax revenue that's getting ginned up from all of this. And it's all fairly heedless. And I have to say, there is something a little gross about the state uh, marrying with these companies and really pushing this on the populace without any kind of any kind of consideration for the public good. I know we live in a cynical age, but I would like if there was a sense of the public good. And hey, even if I my heart is with the sharps, I would be a sharp in another life. And I think you should be able to win everything. The more important matter just might be the people who will lose, the marriages that will be broken up, um, and really grim stuff that ends up happening. One additional point before I start taking questions, is you mentioned the Barstool app, I included a Dave Portnoy clip because, uh, hey, it's, it's his company, it's his book. And it's just funny to me the way the general media attacks people. And the way they attack people, I think, is just often uh, not really cutting to the core of what makes them popular and not very effective. And it's all based on the refined etiquette that the media has that this guy doesn't reach for whatever ideological salad fork you know they'll they'll slam barstool they'll call it sexist they'll say they wear these shirts saying that saturdays are for boys they don't really hammer the idea that populist dave portnoy doesn't let you win at his sports book i think that cuts to the well, core they don't more know because of, there's, yeah. there's no one who would attack him who's gonna be like a mathematically sophisticated enough gambler to beat him in the book <laughs> as we yeah. did, I mean, well, discussed this before like where i don't the, i don't think a lot of the like mainstream media is good at math but um no, the, I, I, the numeracy scholars, i don't want to hijack yeah. your show but i do want to get into my theory of what the end game is because i've yes. been like stomping at the bit to say this to an Let's audience do it. where so the the um it's a little bit of sleight of hand where we're getting like they're really loading up on sports gambling marketing, but it's a Trojan horse for slot machines, which is called iGaming. And slot machines are a much, 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 much higher margin business than sports betting is. In Vegas, David Purdom, um, who's a gambling reporter for ESPN, he tweets every month about how much money casinos make from slots, blackjack, baccarat, craps, and sports. And they make 10 times as much money just from penny slots as they make from sports betting. And so what this all is, is they're normalizing the idea that gambling is okay on your phone. And already there's like a number of states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, West Virginia, and Connecticut, and maybe one or two more that allow iGaming on the sports apps. And so they're going to be making a fortune on people playing slot machines. And Dave Van Eggman, who's a guy who worked for FanDuel, he worked for Barstool in the past. Now he's kind of like an independent gambling investor. He um, tweeted yesterday or today that um, iGaming revenue in Michigan is already bigger than brick and mortar casino um, gambling mm. in the state. And so oh. this iGaming is going to be gigantic. And this is what their actual business is. Their business isn't sports, even though that's how they're being mostly marketed. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think I had a part in the article 
where the Golden Knights had made $40 million off some aspect of their business and shrugged at it. And my guy talking to them said, why? And the, the, uh, the executive gestured to a roulette table and said, well, that roulette table took in $40 million this year. <laughs> We're just trying to get people into the casinos. That's the mentality. We want them into the casinos. And now it's the digital casino. And again, we're just marching towards it without, without many questions, without much skepticism. But I, I think that is a broader, a broader problem right now. Uh, okay, let's take a few questions. We have Chris. He was waiting a while. I'll do that thing where I, I talk and I stall out waiting for the unmute. Chris, Chris, are you there? You're ready. The ball's been passed to Chris. Well, I can move on. I can count down. Chris, one, two, three. Okay, we're going with Scott. We're going to go with Scott. Scott, reliable. Reliable caller, Scott, despite having a, a small child on his shoulder in the Abbey. Yeah, it's, I'm actually, we're in the middle of the bedtime, but thankfully my wife's stepping up. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I would push back on your article. Enjoyed it. I guess in terms of fairness, not allowed like, next call. No, I'm joking. <laughs> what, what is it? Um, I guess too, but I guess I don't really care if like, while I, I root for the, the sharps or the folks who figure out how to crack the system. Like to me, I don't really care if Haralabob, you know, makes 10 million or if he's able to go into a bunch more casinos and makes 50 million a year or whatever he makes. It's a little garbled. Um, I, I mean, first of all, I vigorously disagree. I, if, if her, if Haralabob isn't able to buy another house in Aspen, I will be uh, dejected <laughs> beyond all reason. Um, <laughs> Scott, yeah. is there more? It got it got garbled, so there might have been something oh, that you added on sorry. to it. I just I just switch rooms. Uh, I guess like what I care more about in terms of fairness is like things in the FanDuel, uh, you know, buy-ins where they switched up where they had single entry versus multi-entry because there were people there were. Mm presumably groups of people who kind of game the system and buy a bunch of entries and make it so that when you win in those, you were like really screwed as just a regular Joe trying to win. So I think that part I, I care more about because I assume the vast majority of users are, are just kind of people plodding around having fun. So I guess things like that, I would be more interested in, in terms of fairness while I, yeah, again, still, still room for, so I don't really care as much on that. Then. So thanks for the question, Scott. And Ryan, uh, do you have a take on that? Well, I mean, if they didn't want, like, I, I think you have to understand as a user in the daily fantasy games that you're playing against people who are doing a million entries. And so what you have to do in them is find ones with like a limited number of entries. Now that makes it so you're not playing the lottery and can't win like a million dollar sweepstakes, but it does like, it is something that the user can control to um, like minimize the risk of playing against sharks in, in that pool. Gotcha. And yeah, it's such a, it's a different dynamic. We haven't even really been getting into the daily fantasy versus the lines gambling, but it is, even if it's both gambling, a, a different situation there. Let's take a question from Mateo. Eventually we need to 
switch topics a little bit. I know uh, I want to talk a little TV takeover, and I think you do too, Ryan, even if we don't have the numbers yet on the big uh, NFL weekend and uh, how it's threatening some of the NBA's territory and also the I believe it's pronounced Leah Thomas situation and ESPN not covering it. It's another topic down the line. I'm giving you guys a verbal PTI scroll when I do that. Okay, Mateo. Make him the next caller. Mateo, great name, by the way. Solid Thank name. you, sir. It's the first It's the first word in the New Testament, isn't it? Mateo. Ah, yeah. There you go. I so I'm, I am the perfect caller for your show. I'm going to light it up. You're going to love my material. And I'm perfect for it because I'm the rare, genuine intellectual who loves, like, scuzzy gambling. I love the Orleans in <laughs> Vegas. I've hit a royal flush on the airport in Vegas. I've bet on live boxing in Vegas. I won a sharp Giants bet in Vegas. I won a somewhat sharp Spanish World Cup bet in Vegas. I love that stuff. I eat it up with a spoon. All right? So I follow that world. Are you one of those people on about... the casino billboards with, like, a babe on your shoulder impressed with your gambling <laughs> I mean, I wish I was big time. Those, these are all small-time bets I just do for fun. But, you know. I, I, I love you as a modern-day Orleans because it's so bet. scuzzy, right? Do you know the Orleans in Vegas? <laughs> Uh, I, I've never, I've never been. I've never been. It's, uh, it's I also strip. love it's, uh, casinos. Yeah, or, Orleans is where you go if you really love to bet, uh, to bet uh, NCAA buckets, which I've done in Vegas a few times. Uh, it's, yeah. uh, that's well, kind of where you get to hang out with like the washed-up waitress and the retirees. It's the real thing. It's good. It's good times. I hope it still is. Maybe COVID destroyed it. Anyways, <laughs> here's what I want to say. I want to say. The whole thing in terms of sportsbook getting really cracked out and on your phone and like major corporate players like Caesars marketing it all over the place is a horrible trend. All right. But you guys mm. aren't going to like, you might not like the other part of my really strong opinion here. Uh, most okay, of the sportsbook sure. crowd is very politically conservative for good reason. You know, of course, you're kind of like a libertarian type if you like to gamble. It's that kind of world. That means, you know, life is about like sex and drugs and having fun. Um, which usually makes you a libertarian, right? Anyhow, mm-hmm. what you're, what you're not going to like is uh, is is that the whole reason that the Florida GOP is pushing so hard to get sportsbook in through Seminoles is because those are all Russian gangstered up motherfuckers, and everything liberals say mm-hmm. about Russians in the GOP is really true when you see what they're trying to do in Florida with the Seminoles, what Ron DeSantis is trying oh, to do. God. Notice he really can pushes we, can it we hard. Pitch a I'm going to put total ignorance on this. I have no idea. I'm not saying what you're saying is not true. I just have no knowledge of this subject. Well, just I mean, look, look, I have look no up. knowledge. Look at the Seminole stuff in Florida, in Tallahassee, yeah. what they're trying to push through with the Seminoles. Look it up. Mateo, I have no knowledge of this, but I'm already really into pitching the TV show about it. That's all I know. I mean, the, I, I'm thinking oh, yeah. Russian oh, games. Oh, dude. That's the, you know, that's the ironic thing. Uh, you know, is like I say in all seriousness that it is an organized crime plague and it's really serious and like kind of shows the hand of how like deeply corrupt Florida is right now. Because you know that like them getting the national sports book franchise on the level that Vegas has it is like a really, really big deal in the industry. And a really big passport yeah. to like a much bigger market, right? But you know, at the same time, I acknowledge like the Florida scene right now. That sleazy, corrupt Josh Greenberg world looks like it was kind of fun too. You know, it's like the glory mm-hmm. days are kind of already disappearing fast, just like the mob glory days in casino, right? It's like <laughs> you know, it's corrupt, but it kind of kind of looks fun, just like Miami Vice kind of looked fun in the eighties, right? It's, it's got a glamour to it. And now yeah, in Katrina, Sunday, Sunday was cool. There, are there any Russian gangsters who are just WNBA experts and know the WNBA lines uh, completely? Is another you know what? Thought you know what? If they, if those guys exist in Sunny Isles, 
I bet they're a lot of fun to hang out with and we'd have a great time. So just because I think yeah. that like, you know, the GOP mob there needs to be in jail doesn't mean I don't acknowledge that part, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I actually have no idea what the political constituency of the people who read me or listen to me are. I just think it's uh, people who like interesting stuff, and that includes you, Mateo. So uh, we'll take a question, a quick question from you, Yang, uh, and then we will move on to – well, I'll, I'll let Ryan I'll let Ryan choose whether we're going NFL takeover or Leah Thomas. But you, Yang. Hey, guys. Going? Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 You know what? This time I'm ready because this is my second time or third time calling. So I'm totally ready. So you don't have to wait like the eight to 10 seconds and do that, you know, a filibuster stuff. Um, and I'm dying Fantastic. to hear that. I'm dying to hear TV talk. And I kind of wish I waited because I, I think I'm more interested in that topic than the betting stuff. But it's okay. You know, I'm here with you guys. All right. Why, why don't we? Oh, how about this? How about this? about TV and we'll move on. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll mute you. How about this? Oh, I, I'm yeah, going to mute you and unmute you, you after we're done talking TV. Thank okay. you. Thank you. So we're going to mute. Gonna mute you, Yang. We get we get customer service here. Uh, I don't know why we have to mute him. I mean, he could just listen to us, I suppose. But hey, that's what I said I was gonna do. So, Ryan, um, I'll, I'll introduce it. Uh, is the NFL trying to take everything that the NBA holds dear? Go. Yes. <laughs> they, there you go. They um they they want they pushed NBA off Christmas. Not pushed them off, but like they were like. We are going to plant our flag here, kind of like Christmas with the moon and their Neil Armstrong. And so they they there's going to be a Christmas game every year, except for maybe if Christmas is on Tuesday or Wednesday from now on in the NFL. And maybe even Tuesday, Wednesday might be the only game that where they don't have a Christmas game. But um yeah. that this has been like less talked about. Well, Martin Luther King Day at least, like, I'm not the NBA, like, diehard follower that you are, but my recollection was that it was a much bigger deal four, five, six, ten years ago where they would have NBA games all day. This year they did that, but there wasn't any buzz about them. And then um, and then they have um, an NFL playoff game on Monday night. So, like, Chris Mannix was saying yesterday that NBA should have marquee matchups on – MLK day. And I was like, well, they better make them during the day because NFL isn't ever moving off that Monday night playoff game again. No. And the NFL, like if you put a marquee NBA game up against an NFL playoff game, the NFL playoff game is going to have like seven or eight times at least the audience. Yeah. That, that Mannix tweet, uh, he's not wrong in that they should have better matchups on a day that they have games on national TV. But to what you're saying, doesn't matter really. Dead letter. You're not going to matter on that day anymore. In perpetuity, you just will not. You're not going to be talked about the next day on, pardon the interruption, right? Uh, they're going to talk about the NFL playoff game. That's what they're going to talk about. It's now an NFL playoff game day from here on out. And so maybe you carve out an audience during the daytime, but that's been taken. I mean, look at just this year. What has happened this year? Um, The NBA, I think correctly, but it's them waving the white flag, move off of Thursdays on TNT. They stop running into the NFL on those Thursdays. So that's a property that's existed for nearly as long as I can remember, no longer exists. Uh, The NFL adds a surprise Christmas Day game. They go to, they double up. Um, and next year it's going to be Sunday Christmas. That's probably going to be a full slate. And then it's going to be Monday Christmas. Expect a bunch of NFL games. Uh, it's about two decades of investing in Christmas and building it up. 
maybe not down the shitter, but pretty close. And now you have this, where the NFL has claimed MLK Day as their playoff game day. And what's so odd to me, as I noticed this all happening, is there anybody in NBA media noticing? Does anybody notice? Does anybody care? I mean, these are these are properties that have existed for a long time that are, I think, the backbone beyond All-Star Weekend of uh, the interest in the NBA in the regular season. Uh, they're all getting taken over. It's all in Adam Silver's watch. Uh, it is, I believe, a response to weakness. It, you get pushed around when you're weak. The NBA got weaker. They're getting pushed around. They also uh, it's got, the, they gave, Mark Cuban put a bullseye on their back. Yes. Um, when he said the um, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. They're like, oh, yeah, well, then we're going to be the hogs that slaughter <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. That was 2017, I believe. The NFL had a lot of negative coverage and Cuban was calling a shot about how the NBA was going to displace it and said they got greedy pigs get fat hogs get slaughtered uh and now the NBA is about half as popular as it was since Cuban made that comment and the NFL is just as popular as it was if not more so uh that's the dynamic uh and so I just put it out there I I think there's this funny thing and maybe we'll get to it when we talk Leah Thomas where if you notice the really noticeable story, you're almost made out to be the weirdo. I, I I try not to complain too much about it, but it becomes a, oh, this is something that I always talk about. It, why isn't anybody talking about it at all? It just seems like a massive story uh, that the NBA is getting completely conquered by the NFL in this respect. So well, that's my take. And, is it's yeah. not just the NBA. You know, um, I, don't, I don't have permission, I don't think, to say – who said it to me, but it's like somebody smart who works for in network PR and like, so observes this every day. And he said that like in like the nineties, it did not feel like the NFL swallowed up every major sport, but it just feels like since that time, the NBA, MLB and NHL have all lost kind of relevance share and the NFL has just picked up all of it. And so I don't know why that is. It's like, we know that it has happened. You can say, oh, they have like a the season scarcity of only 16 games, 17 games, um, play once a week. But at the same time, that was true 25 years ago too. But they've just been on this like death march, destroying all the other major sports. And so I don't know what the reason for it is, but it's definitely happened. Well, I think that, yeah, there's an element of winner take all in the digital landscape for reasons I might not be smart enough to completely grok. So that's one element of it. I do think perhaps at least if you look at the NBA as the strongest competitor outside of football, college football, I guess you could also say is the strongest competitor. If you look at the NBA as the strongest one, I think the NFL benefited from being less ESPNified. I, I think the stuff that comes out of ESPN, by and large, is cheap and crass and doesn't build a sport and is more of a withdrawal than an investment. It's more devoted towards fueling stupid arguments the next day than building up any sense of grandeur. And that promo on CBS for that Niners-Cowboys wildcard game, I don't know if anybody listening saw it. I don't know if Ryan saw it. But it gave you chills if you saw it and you were any kind of sports fan. And you had John Madden's voice announcing those 
tilts in the past between the Niners and the Cowboys. And it, it took us from the past to the present, and it got you really excited for it. That's a CBS Network TV production. That's something Network TV does. That is not something ESPN does. I think the NBA over-relying on ESPN, ESPN ultimately not the greatest uh, at the sustainability of one sport, if you make them the steward. But I'll, I'll take the question from you, Yang. Hopefully, hopefully he's got a question. We're putting him on the spot right here. Yang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying. You know what? Uh, with the TV stuff, right? You guys talk about how, like, over the next this year, next year, the Christmas keeps on falling on like a Sunday, Monday, Saturday, right? But what yeah. happens when yeah. it falls on a Tuesday and Wednesday? They're, are they just gonna have like a Tuesday night football game? What are you guys thoughts about that? Probably Wednesday. Not as sure, but like they they had Tuesday football games the last two years um, due to like pandemic schedule reshuffling, and then. Like with no notice, these and like not part of anybody's regular habit, these games still performed great from an audience perspective. And so, I think Wednesday is the only day that gets dicey. Got it. And also, I know we didn't talk about this, but what about like college football? Because I heard that like the college ratings for the 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 one that just happened a couple of weeks ago, or last week, whatever. Um, I think they, they they had low ratings and and it, and it said like around twenty million viewers and I was like wow that's low ratings because like NBA would die to get twenty million viewers yes. for like their their finals games. You want yeah, Ryan? What do you think about that one? Uh, oh, I mean, I don't have a good theory on that. Yeah, I so I, I want to know what Ryan football, thinks. And so it the the semis and finals I think were like up a little from last year, but. Like over like five years, they're down. Um, I don't know, like twenty five percent or something. And that's a sport that the regular season is just much more interesting than the playoffs because of how dominant Alabama um, and like a, a handful of other schools. Like I get like Georgia. I guess you can put in there like Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson. So there's like six blue bloods. But it's really like Alabama on one tier and then like five blue bloods on the next. But the semifinals every year are just these crappy blowouts. And then a team from the South wins the title. And so it's just like become almost a little bit like baseball where it's a really regionalized sport. Nonetheless, you make a good point that college football's famine is a feast for the NBA. and. Football is just dramatically more popular sport in America than basketball is, and that isn't necessarily reflected by the coverage of ESPN, who, as Ethan said, is like very invested in basketball. Here you go. Thanks, okay. okay, let's take a question from JF, and perhaps... I don't know, and we'll introduce the last topic. Maybe after the the question after JF with Matt. But JF, JF, JF out of Canada. Are you there, sir? Hoping for it. Giving him a five count, a one, a two, a three, a four. Oh, there he is. Five. I see him. I don't see him unmuted though. No. Okay, we'll go with Matt. Make Matt the next caller. Matt. 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 Hey guys. Hey. Hey, question for you about this, Ethan. When you were at ESPN, was it generally discouraged that you would talk about uh, NBA ratings or any of that sort of thing? 
Huh. That's a good question. I'm thinking about that. Yeah. Well, when I was at ESPN, and uh, hey, correlation isn't causation, but the ratings were a lot better when I was uh, when I was back there. Um, I don't remember any prohibitions on it. I do think I tweeted occasionally about it, but back then the Warriors were driving the bus and they were having a little bit of a, a surge as far as viewership, and so the news was good. So therefore, there was no prohibition. But yeah, I think that. The people there today, I know there is a prohibition. I know they talk about it internally. I think what's a little interesting is how they thought they would be so dominant with NBA because they would be the lead newsbreakers with Adrian Wojnarowski, and it hasn't gone that way. It's gone the other way. Hey, again, correlation isn't causation, but that's uh, that's interesting right there. But yeah, to, to answer your question, no prohibition, but I'd imagine there would be a prohibition today. Got it. Thank you. Okay. We will switch topics, switch topics. Uh, Ryan, you had an observation about a story that you would think would be covered by ESPN, and it is right now the dog that is not barking. And it is fascinating to see a major story culturally avoided. One you wrote about, I don't know if you can tell people about your internal metrics, but you were blown away by how many reads it got. Can you tell us about this story? So, um, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but I, (laughs) I, I, um, so I, so first of all, I have to frame what it is because I don't think people, everybody knows about it. So there's a swimmer at Penn in the Ivy league named Leah Thomas. She swam for three years as a male and then starting like so she she swam from 2017 through 2019 as a male at Penn took 2020 off and in the process transitioned to female and so this year she is competing as a female and has been like shattering um school records like there there was like a race that she won by like 38 seconds um the, the only time she lost was uh, in a like little bit of like a, a weird twist. She lost to a swimmer at Yale who is a biological female who is planning to transition to male. Um, but in, in any event, like her, her teammates have been like complaining about it anonymously to um, conservative outlets like Outkick and the Washington Examiner. And one of them made a point that like she that Leah Thomas is like not only plausibly going to compete for like national championship in swimming, she has a chance to break records that were set by Missy Franklin and Katie Wadecki, who would go on to win Olympic gold medals. And so what you have here is a swimmer who swam as a male for three years transition, which by the way, the NCAA allows um, the NCA bylaws say that if you undergo um, testosterone suppression therapy for a year, you're permitted to commit to compete as a female. And she has a chance to be the best female swimmer in the country. And so this is like, I think a story that we've all archetypically envision happening as um 
as sex changes have become kind of more common and accepted, which is somebody who was born a male um, transitioning to female and dominating women's sports. And so the story is getting like a lot of attention in right wing outlets, but ESPN has not done any coverage of it at all. Yeah. And that is fascinating because it shows that at some level there's a judgment that the public would not be with this. I believe anyway, I think that's the calculus right here. It is, as we say in the NBA, a bad matchup, right? It's a bad matchup. And the story itself is something people, uh, I, I guess, can can debate and talk about. But if you're doing a meta-analysis of sports media, and you mentioned OutKick, your old boss, Clay Travis, and if you want to know the difference on the political compass uh, between Ryan and Clay Travis, Clay Travis does not I think Clay Travis says he when referring to Leah Thomas and you say she. And I I suppose that is one uh, example of a distinction there. But I I was looking into this before we went on because you mentioned it. You mentioned it was worth uh, discussing. And I saw that that Clay Travis had gone on Tucker Carlson and and talked about it. And I know what people in my industry think of both those guys, right? It's no mystery what, what is thought of both those guys. But I look at this and I think to myself, you are the reason that success comes so easily to them or to Clay maybe more specifically on this issue because there is a dishonesty in not covering this subject. I look at the quote from Travis uh, as he's talking to Tucker Carlson. I wrote it down. Look at people who cover sports media. They just pretend it doesn't exist. Look at ESPN. Tucker, you know this. They love to cover every single conflict of sports and politics. They haven't written a single story about this, Tucker. It's a sham, not a one. Every time somebody doesn't go to the White House to visit Trump, it was the lead story on ESPN for five years. A biological man threatens to become the greatest women swimmer of all time, and they don't even cover it? They pretend it doesn't exist? I mean, whatever one thinks about Clay Travis, whatever one thinks about this story, whatever one thinks about Tucker Carlson, that's 100% true. That's just true. This is well, a story. There's, there's multiple levels at which ESPN could cover it because they have a news operation and then they have opinion operations. So they could easily just relay the facts on a platform like Outside the Lines or in yeah. a story on like ESPNW where they don't make a value judgment, but they explain um, in detail what's happening, which is like kind of what I did with you. I didn't say what my opinion no. on is no, um, yeah, I, so I read your write up without yeah that. and then they could also yeah. put it on around the horn and have somebody um compare Leah Thomas to Jackie Robinson like there are two different ways that they can there are levels to which they can cover it and it's kind of astounding that they haven't done even like a fact-based analysis of it because like you I guess you can ignore it a little bit when it's Ivy League swimming but it's really not very difficult to envision a scenario where this starts to happen with like an elite women's basketball player or um, the U.S. women's national team. And all of a sudden you have somebody out there dominating and that's when the public is like going to like grapple with it. But by ESPN ignoring it and a lot of other outlets ignoring it, it creates enormous um, audience opportunities for the outlets that aren't. And so 
I've been at the post since the beginning of November. And I, I wrote about like Michael Phelps addressing this story. And it was far and away, like significantly the highest traffic story that I've done in a sample size of like three to 400 stories in two and a half months. And so there's like an enormous public interest in this story that isn't being fulfilled by ESPN. Exactly. And there's a dishonesty in that. And I do think it speaks to some of the media's problems. What you said, they should be able to just write about it dispassionately. But one of the issues is that that fell out of fashion during the Trump presidency. It was this this trope of uh, what was it? Moral truth versus the truth. And both sides is both sides is that's the term the term both sides is that's a problem. We need to cast it out. It gives equal weight to the bad and evil side. And hey, there's something to that. You know, maybe it's a problem if somebody says the moon is made of rocks and the other person says the moon is made of green cheese and you're giving too much weight to the latter argument. But there's a reason this exists. There's a reason for it. And here you're seeing it because this is a story you should be able to describe uh, describe dispassionately and you should be able to say, hey, Camp A thinks this about it and Camp B thinks that about it. And you shouldn't get torn to just shreds for saying that right that should be something you should be able to do they can't do it they feel like they're not allowed to do it and so they're just not they're not doing it and it creates a vacuum for competitors uh, it informs less trust in them i believe um and i think it speaks to just a broader problem in the media that you couldn't even you couldn't even just cover it i saw something similar too but, the, but I was re- this isn't like yeah. a story that just popped up last week or anything either like it's yeah. been happening since thanksgiving so there's been like ample time for them to strategize the right way to address it yeah and I mean, I saw something similar with the uh, Nick Saban uh, joining a letter to try to uh, exhort Joe Manchin to pass the voting rights legislation that Biden wants. And I'm reading what is a news story on ESPN, but it is very much one sided and activist. You just get the impression that one side wants freedom and for people to vote. And there's literally no counter argument. And that's just not real life. I think any any major piece of legislation that is changing existing law has a counter argument against it. And they don't even feel empowered or maybe they're just so incurious. They're not even going to add that component and say, hey, here's what one side thinks. Here's what the other side thinks. No, it's just we're pushing a narrative or we're not dealing with it because it's a bad matchup. And that's my uh, washing machine in the background, in case you heard a little <laughs> delightful chime. And I apologize for that. But we can take any questions uh, from anybody on this particular subject. I want to, or any of the subjects, frankly, we don't discriminate on that one. Um, and I want to try with JF again. You know, it might not work, but he's a great caller. And so I want to try with him one more time. He is still in the queue. He is still in the queue. JF, does the signal, does the signal get out there all the way to Canada? Does it happen? Can I unmute him, by the way? Do I have that power? Can I unmute people? They don't want to be unmuted. No, no, can't get it. Can't get JF. Okay. Well, I think, you know, um, I think, Ryan, that that was a delightful call in. Uh, And I probably I probably need to start writing my article. Uh, Oh, yes. My article is going to be on on Chamath 
whose last name I cannot pronounce. I know oh, you've got wait, one last take on that. Or you don't want to like step on your story. I'm going to be careful about it. I'm going to be as careful as ESPN is in the Leah Thomas story, but I might say a thing or two, and then maybe we take a question from from Zach in the queue and whoever else. But yeah, give your take, give your spiel. Um. So he it it was he, he basically for anybody who I think probably people are more familiar with this than the Leah Thomas story is covered yeah. everywhere. But um, he he's like a he owns like a 50th of the Warriors. He used to own a 10th of them. He is a venture capitalist. His, uh, I wouldn't invest in his businesses even before <laughs> that. Um, the, he, he's been successful and he's had successful things, but some of the things that I've read about some of his businesses would give me pause about all of them. But, um, he, he said, so uh, one of his like co-hosts on this on a podcast with, that he hosts with three other like VC people, um, he said like that one of the good things Joe Biden has done was like enact legislation um, stopping imports from the region of China that uses slave labor for um, the Uyghur of the Uyghurs, which is a Muslim minority that like it's been pretty well documented that. China is like trying to drive them out of existence with like concentration camps and rapes and forced sterilizations and slave labor. Like, uh, it's like uh, almost not even almost. It's from everything I've read. It's like a modern day yeah. Holocaust with them there. And yeah, all of I think us we can, like, have some yeah. blindness to China. And like, well, I'm on an iPhone. Ethan's on an iPhone. That those get produced there. It's like inextricable for our consumption that we are complicit in this. But what um, Kamak said was, I'm sorry, I don't care about the Uyghurs. I just don't. Nobody cares about them. It doesn't like meet the threshold of things that I care about. And so it, it creates this big juxtaposition with the way that the NBA um, cares about every social issue and jams it down your throat. And but they have a minority owner um, and they've had lots of issues with China over the years that have been well documented. That it's like a willful blind spot of theirs in their kind of social justice campaign. Yeah, I would push back on that one. And I I spoke to why Clay Travis has a certain role um, before, but I would criticize him and Outkick's coverage on this one. Uh, He isn't really an owner of the Warriors. I know he put it in his Twitter bio, but. A bunch of rich guys own a small piece of a team. They're not necessarily speaking for the NBA. They're not at the Vegas uh, governor's meetings determining what happens with the league. It's just a guy. It's just one of many guys. You know, I don't think that... We did own 10% of it. Like, that's not nothing. Now it's only 2%, but he did... When when Laka bought the team, he he owned a 10% stake in it. Fair enough, fair enough, though. It it has dwindled. But I think... I'm, I'm just making the point that that term owner is doing a lot of work. I think it's giving the reader the impression that it's Joe Lacob saying it. And that would be a story. And frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if Joe Lacob said that. I really wouldn't be. Uh, the other thought, because I watched his uh, comments, very strange. He was all over the place, really. You could not, it would be very hard to handicap him ideologically because it starts out, he sounds like a Pat Buchanan paleocon at the beginning saying i don't really want to think about this that's happening far off we need to take care of our own and you go okay well this guy's like a he's like a paleocon this is interesting and then he goes 
and black and brown people are being oppressed in the U.S. Or he says black, and he's like, oh, well, this guy's a liberal. He's a liberal. But then he goes, yeah, and I, I don't know if China's a dictatorship. And you go, oh, this guy's just a corporate shill. <laughs> there was so much happening. It was really bizarre. And one of my takeaways, and it might be unfair, I just thought this is a curious character who I don't even know if he has an ideology or any sort of convictions. He almost seems to be mirroring the phrases uh, that he has heard elsewhere. So his very odd is stuff. that he wants to make the most money that he can in his life. Yeah, yeah. He's right, though. I mean, the, the nobody cares is true. I mean, it's absolutist. Nobody goes too far. But generally, that is the case. It's something I'm going to write about. Um, I will give my take. I will write my take tomorrow on it. And let's take a few questions to have us to have us out on this whole thing. Zach, Zach, next caller, Zach. Are you there? I think we got him. Or do we got him? What is going on with the mutes and the callers? Oh, there we go. Can you hear me? Yeah. We can hear you now. All right. Sounds good. With the Leah Thomas stuff, <clears throat> I mean, do you do you think it's not covered? Because even very progressive people think it's just outright unfair. I mean, even for Penny, you think it's almost like a losing. I don't know. It just seems like it's, yeah, it's, it's such a niche like group of people that yeah. actually like, think this is something that, I mean – I'll be, well, you know, I want I'll to be blunt the about Ivy League it. statement on this because I think like the Ivy League, like when you talk about like institutions that have been kind of captured by woke, I think the Ivy League schools really have been. So I'm going to read the Ivy League statement. Um, over the past several years, Leah and the University of Pennsylvania have worked with the NCA to follow all of the appropriate protocols in order to comply with the NCA policy on transgender athlete participation and compete on the Penn women's swimming and diving team. The Ivy League has adopted and applies the same policy. The Ivy League reaffirms its unwavering commitment to providing an inclusive environment for all student athletes while condemning transphobia and discrimination in any form. The league welcomes her participation in the sport of women's swimming and diving and looks forward to celebrating the success of all our student athletes throughout the season. So I would push back on the idea that even the most severe progressives think that this is insane because um, the NCAA and the Ivy League, which are like very powerful governing institutions, um, are presenting uh, Leah Thomas as maybe not a hero, but um, like they're saying that the idea that that statement tacitly says that if you believe she shouldn't be competing against women, then you're transphobic. And so it's like almost like alternate reality has been created by some of these institutions where if you have even like the slightest misgiving, you're a bigot. Yeah. Well, I think on this issue, some of the most vigorous activism comes from that cohort on this particular issue. And people saw how viciously JK Rowling got attacked and they don't want that to happen to them. I was at, I was at a, an engagement party and there was a woman who uh, was so angry about JK Rowling on this issue because it's Berkeley. Right. And I asked, what did she say that was so offensive? And the woman started hemming and hawing. She said something about transphobia, homophobia. And I go, 
okay, but what did she say? What what was the thing she said? And maybe this is a good synecdoche. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. But a good metaphor for the age we live in. The woman starts fumbling around for her phone and trying to look it up. And that's that's kind of where we're, we are, where we're told to be angry about things. We outsource uh, the knowledge of what we're angry at to other people. Uh, but regardless, I think that that was an example to a lot of people that they heeded. And on this issue, there's probably a fear that somebody on one of those TV shows will create a rallying sized problem for them. And so they no, just don't. I think it's more likely that someone on ESPN would go overboard saying um, mm. how like, courageous it is and anger a majority of the viewers who are watching well, it at the time. Right? Either way, it's... they can't really win. <laughs> and that's why they that's why they just like but what i would do if i were them would be like assign um like have jeremy sap do like a half hour otl show on it and present the facts Yeah, yeah i do think this issue feels like a waterloo though on this particular topic and it's the type of thing where it reaches a certain point where i think you do have a press preference cascade and this might be it but let's go with yasarian Yesarian. I am not good with the phonetics. I, I'm not going to get it right when I do the narration. I talk about, is it Chamath? Is that the way to say it? We'll see. Anyway, Yesarian, how you doing? I'm doing good, Ethan. How are you? I'm doing well. What's up? And I, I, only, I only know the name from the book and, and the, the yeah, I watched the Clooney miniseries, but Yos, I think Yosarian is correct. So There we go. Anyway, uh, I mean, you guys are, wow, you guys are opening up so many cans of worms in one single episode. It's, it's hard to know. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose if you had like an overarching theme, at least with respect to the gambling and the, the transgender swimmer and the, the <laughs> situation, it's sort of this like idea of civilizational decline, you know, not to be, I mean, that's, that's hugely <laughs> We intend to be the last podcast standing uh, when it all burns down is the, <laughs> is the plan for us. But to what you're saying, it is a can of worms. It's all very controversial. And yet, how stupid is it that it is, right? We should be able to discuss these things freely. There is a culture of fear, and the dumbest part about it is when you discuss it, that in of itself is stigmatized. It's called hand-wringing and whatever else. So anyway, I'm off on a tangent. You were saying. Well, I just, you know, I mean, with respect to the just touching real quick on the gambling, it's like, well, you know, what are the what are the big sort of policy, business policy movements over the last, five or 10 years, it seems like it's marijuana legalization and, and gambling legalization. It's, it's, you know, are these, are these actual activities that, that promote, uh, you know, social cohesion? I mean, I'm, I'm something of a libertarian, so I'm not here to tell people not to smoke pot or gamble, but like that, that's the thing. Okay. I know I'm interjecting, but I, I feel you on this one because I'm of a similar bent in the sense that I don't want to throw a guy in jail for having a dime bag. And every now and again, I want to smoke weed, but I have a certain sense that it's not fucking spinach, right? It's not just a magical elixir that's going to be pro-social if consumption escalates at scale. And it just seems like that part of the conversation is not fashionable enough to be had. It will get scorned. It will get mocked. And you're seeing a lot of this, this issue, which is that, we're being presented with things as though there is no downside, right? And that's just not real life. 
there is a potential downside. There's a downside. You, if you're smoking weed all day, every day for most people, that is going to be detrimental, right? And if we legalize gambling and open it up and everybody can gamble on their phone, there's going to be a societal downside. That's obvious. So I'm interrupting you to make that point, but it just seems like everything is so binary in social media that it's, what, are you anti this or you're you're for me? It's just not even a conversation at this point. It's absurd. No, I completely agree. And, And with respect to the marijuana, issue. I mean, there is a correlation and this is, this is an issue near and dear to my, to, to me. Um, there is a correlation between hallucinogen use, especially cannabis use and psychosis. And it's not clearly understood and it's not clear that it's a hundred percent causal, but they don't know that it's not causal either. And so, you know, my brother, when he was 32 had a psychotic break and he was a heavy regular cannabis user. And so he went from finishing up his MBA at UCLA to being almost homeless. And, you know, again, that's anecdotal, but when people start talking about marijuana legalization as as if, exactly as you say, as if there is no downside whatsoever, I'm like, you don't know that. We don't know that. And to to not even have that conversation. um, And then obviously on the the swimmer issue, I mean, you have to treat every human being with dignity and respect, irrespective of their, their... whatever category they fall in, fall in, including trans people. But every, every sensible person knows that there's a difference between male and female physiology, particularly after puberty. And to, to have to pretend like there's no difference is it's just absurd to me. It's a humiliation yeah, I, it, <laughs> is what it is. I mean, I would feel humiliated. it really is. I mean, I would feel humiliated if I was on uh, around the horn or whatnot, and I just felt like I had to pretend like there was no difference if the topic came up. And so, yeah, but Ryan, I talked over you. No, it's just there's um, a difference between. So it's like comes down to like freedom from and freedom to. And so my like underlying philosophy in life is that you should be allowed to do anything that makes you happy that doesn't infringe on others pursuit of happiness. But this is like a situation I've refrained from like giving my opinion on it, even though you could probably guess it from the way that I frame the facts that I don't think, I think it's like a fundamental issue of unfairness that um, punishes all of these like other swimmers who have like worked their whole lives for this opportunity. And I do agree with you that there is like a physiological difference between how you're born and uh, between the sexes. And that's the reason we have women's sports in the first place. And so I'm like in a, I don't know how many people are in my Venn diagram, but I'm fully supportive of anybody um, having a gender transition, if that's what makes him or her happy. But I don't think that biological men should be allowed to compete against biological women in sports. And so I don't know how like rare that kind of opinion is because what like it, it's not all like black and white or whatever, but that's kind of where I stand on it. I, I aspire to outflank you and find an even more hipster niche Venn diagram quadrant. Is it a quadrant? A slice? <laughs> I will be uh, livid at JK Rowling and think she's a monster 
and also be livid at Leah Thomas. I will occupy that as the only person in the Venn diagram. <laughs> no, I think that physiologically, you, you need to make a call on who is physiologically a man and physiologically a woman if there's going to be competition. But then again, it's not something I really want to stick my neck out on or I wouldn't stick my neck out on if I worked for a major institution because the sport, I just don't care about it that much. If I'm totally honest, now I'm pulling a, now I'm yeah, sounding like, <laughs> yeah, well, there's, yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah. The, the question I have about the, is about the, the is, is about Leah's psychology. Like what is going through this person's head where she thinks like this is all fair and square and read, she has Google, no read the, I mean, read the Washington Examiner story on her from this past week and I think you'll get a sense. Well, there okay. you go. Well Siddhartha and, and we, she's given interviews too, so you, you can go and find those. Like there are video interviews with her um kind of discussing it. So you, you can get a sense for what is going through her mind by reading that story and watching the interviews. Yeah, and just real quick, Ethan, I know you want to move on to the next caller, so I'll try to make this this last point really quickly. But with respect to the yeah. Uyghur issue, um, I think I think the I don't I can't remember his name, but um, it's obvious that he and the American elites don't care about the Uyghurs. Yes. I think lots of regular Americans do, but obviously, the billionaire class and the cultural elite class are up to their necks in China, and so they don't care because they don't want to care. And it's interesting to me that he was completely honest. I give him credit for being completely honest about it, but it's that, it's that, com that attitude combined with, he then turns around and points the finger at the United States that, that what about ism? Mm. Um, and it's such a failure of the American elites to, and I think what it does, particularly for the very, very wealthy and for the cultural elites too. And there's obviously the Venn diagram of those is pretty tight. Um, is it lets them, off the hook in terms of caring about their fellow citizens in terms yeah. of caring about the, the collective good and say, you know, America is all this terrible, all these people and all these, all these poor black people in prison who don't belong there, all these racial disparities. It's a hotbed of this. So what, what do I, owe? I don't owe it. I don't owe this disgusting system, anything. I'm just here to make as much money as I can. And, and that's for me. And if, if that means I turn the blind eye to, to what's happening in, in Eastern China, well, then so be it. I think you're totally correct on that psychology, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give an aspect of my take on this, my valuable take. I know everybody wants my wants my take on this. Um, it's gonna be way more paleocon uh, actually on this particular subject. Um, obviously, what's happening there is awful. Obviously, it's something that we should discuss. Um, but I find it so strange that in that podcast conversation. And frankly, the vast majority of pundit conversations on China, including the conservative world, this gets top billing over COVID. I find that to be insane. I find that to be such a strange ordering of priorities. And I, this is how I come to it. I just often feel mystified as to why the thing we're mad about or the thing that we're presented as the thing we should be mad about is the thing. I, I find it to be totally arbitrary a lot of the time. You know, you tell me that a, a country possibly, probably through negligence unleashes something that completely upends life for two years, kills about over 5 million people, over 800,000 Americans and counting, and nobody important is mad at them. 
I mean, that's amazing to me. It's completely amazing to me that that's not the thing to discuss. And I know that there there are complications there. I know that uh, U.S. government funding gain of function uh, in in Wuhan is part of that story. But that's one of my takeaways is that um, to a degree, I agree with him on how most Americans don't care about the Uyghurs, perhaps even if they should. But Americans do care about the thing I just mentioned. And who is their tribune? Who's the person in the public eye among the elites who's even talking about it? So that's that is my take or at least an aspect of it. Well, and just on that ending on that note, um, it's not only that it's that when early in the pandemic or early in the lockdowns, when the the lab leak issue was floated, people were accused of being racist for even suggesting that. Right. Yeah. I mean, the policing of the discourse, it's, it's almost too perfect. It's almost like, you know, bonfire, the vanities or something crazy like that. Anyway, I've taken up uh, too much of your time, but thanks guys. Appreciate it. So many literary references. We have uh, Yasarian leaving. He just dropped a bonfire of the vanities and we've got Siddhartha as our last caller. You know, Ryan's been a trooper. He's in a different time zone. We got to wrap it up quick. So Siddhartha, Siddhartha, do you have a question? We'll try to address it as quickly as possible and get on out of here. Hey, Ethan, I actually don't have a question. I just uh, I wanted to make a, like uh, just just leave a comment regarding Perfect. Leah Thomas. Um, so, you know, I think uh, Ryan was talking about, um, you know, his view, uh, which which I think I'm, I'm very much in agreement with uh, regarding transgender athletes. Um there, there was a, there is a, a an a- activist group, uh, Ch- Transgender Law Center, that just um, put out an internal report um, that uh, was interesting on this topic. It says, right now, our opposition wins the debate on trans youth sports um, uh, against any and all arguments we have tried for our side. Our base and persuadables want to support transgender student athletes, but are extremely susceptible to our opposition's arguments that excluding trans youth is necessary to protect the fairness of women's sports. So this is like a pro-transgender group, and they are recognizing that there is like a, a struggle, like this topic is coming up against a sort of like the, the, the you know, the, the women's it's sports a water in general. Um, yeah. and, and all of the women who are invested in women's sports um, and all of the parents who are invested in women's sports. And, and it is, it is um, I think it, it's sort of finding the limits of the binary that you described earlier. So I just wanted to throw that in. I'd love to uh, talk about some of the other stuff, but thanks so much for having me on and great conversation, guys. Hey, that's one of the reasons why I take these calls is that can potentially be useful to me when I write an article on this because I was not aware of that. I think if I, if I am so stupid as to take this kind of subject on and by God, am I stupid? So it's pretty likely uh, that will be of use. I want to thank everybody for calling in. I want to thank Ryan again, check out his stuff in the New York post. Is there anything else to plug Ryan? Uh, no, I would just like the Packers to win the Super Bowl because I root for them. And because um, it will make the gambling apps 20 grand poor. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Uh, he, he's awesome expert on sports tv and all matter of things great episode we will be back not sure i'll just drop this one on the outro i probably have covid so you know we'll see we'll see is what i'm saying the boy has covid probably have covid so i'm just dropping that dead fish in everyone's laps as i head on out of here see you everybody right. thank you ethan talk soon see ya.